You're listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's message is preached by Pastor Scott McGrady. If you would take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 9. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. There is a danger in those who would sneak in and pass themselves off as something that they are not. That they would pass themselves off as part of the group, uh, as standing with the same cause, as, as on the same team, when all the while they are really a tool for the enemy, when they are an instrument of corruption, a means of sabotage. And one area where this is abundantly clear uh, is in the realm of warfare. A spy in the camp, in the headquarters, disrupting maneuvers, uh, causing disunity, spreading false information, giving information to the enemy. It's dangerous. It is, it is disruptive. Yet everything they would show to themselves, to those around them, would be as if they're, they're one of them. They're, they're soldiers together. They are, they are uh, supporters of the cause. They're with each other. They pass themselves off as something they are not. One of the most infamous spies in American history is that of a woman named Ann Bates. She was a loyalist spy to the British Army during the Revolutionary War. She was married to a colonial-born British soldier, Joseph Bates, who enlisted in the British Army when the British evacuated Philadelphia in 1778. When the army moved to New York, there Anne received, as limited as it was, nonetheless, she received spy training there. And due to how women were perceived in that day, uh, the view that the culture had of women, not being able to really understand war tactics and, and not being, you know, uh, anyone that would really be able to uh, pass on any kind of secrets like that, uh, she was seen as not a threat. And so she was able to gain access to the camps of the Continental Army in White Plains, New York. She was able to get close to enlisted soldiers and officers, and even as she posed herself as a peddler, was able to get access to George Washington's headquarters. She was even given access to areas by high-ranking generals like General Benedict Arnold. You might think, well, of course he would give her access. Uh, but this was before his own days of sabotage, when he became known as one of history's most infamous traitors. But he also, she also gained access by General Charles Scott, who at the time was George Washington's chief of intelligence. She passed sensitive information that she got from the soldiers and being around all of them. She passed information on to the British about troop movements, and she sabotaged plans of the Continental Army, and she caused a lot of disruption. She passed herself off as, as one who was a patriot, one who was supportive of their cause, but she was a danger. But not only are there those who pose themselves as something they are not, 
Not only are they a danger to military efforts, they are a danger as well to the well-being and purpose of a local church. We've already seen Paul call Timothy to avoid such ones who demonstrate that they have the characteristics of an unbeliever. And that is because of the danger that false converts pose to the church. And so we're going to see that danger here today as we look at our passage this morning. As the Apostle Paul has been urging Timothy to remain faithful, uh, we saw last week that he wanted to make sure that Timothy would not be ignorant of the day that he was in. Uh, that Timothy would know, that he would understand that the last days would have times of difficulties. You could say of, of danger, of, of perils. And then he explained why the last days would have such difficult times. And it was because of the characteristics of the people of the last days. And so we saw last week, Paul go over 19 characteristics of uh, that, that mark an unbeliever. And as we went through this, we talked about how specifically, though, as, as Paul is talking about what characterizes unbelievers, he is pointing to those who are false converts. And even as we continue on in the text here this morning, we see it very clear that among those who are false converts, Paul is specifically talking about those who are false teachers. Those who claim to follow Christ, they present themselves as, as one among us, who is one of us, who supports our cause. And yet, that is not who they truly are. So last week we went through each of the characteristics that Paul lists there. And it, we saw Nate go over at the end of chapter 2 that Paul had instructed Timothy to correct his opponents with gentleness. But it is clear that it comes to a point where one shows themselves to be so stubbornly unrepentant that they are so self-centered, or as the text here says, lovers of self, they're so proud and arrogant, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, or you could say unreasonable. They're, they're treacherous and reckless, blinded by their own pride, that it comes to the point where Paul does command Timothy here, as we saw last week, to avoid such people. And we discuss the idea that's there of church discipline with that. And so then, as we pick up the text here this morning, we see the reason why Paul commands Timothy to avoid such people. It's clear that he's giving the reason, as you see, verse 6 starts with the word for. And so let's look at our passage here this morning. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men." So as is clear in this section, again, we have those in the church who are doing harm. Uh, this is why Paul, again, commanded Timothy, avoid such people. They're harmful, and they have already done damage, as we see here. 
The first thing we see is that among those whom Paul has characterized as with these marks of unbelievers are those who enter into households. And as the English Standard Version specifically translates it, it's clear uh, that it's not just that they enter, but they enter in in a sinister way. Uh, that's what this, this Greek word carries, that idea. And so you could say they, they slither in, or they worm them their way in. Or as, again, we read here, they creep into households. Or like a snake slithering along the wall. Like a fox creeping into a chicken coop for his prey. They are truly wolves in sheep's clothing. Getting in among the flock cozying with them in intimate and trusting settings in their homes. And they know how to target their prey. They seek out those that they can most likely manipulate. Here Paul says they capture weak women. And what's translated here as weak women, weak women, Literally, in the Greek, it says little women. And this this carries a negative connotation. That those women there in Ephesus, letting these different ones into their homes, these women were immature. That's what it's getting at. And so these false teachers targeted them in their immaturity. They saw them as someone that they could warm up to, gain their trust in some way. These women were those that could be manipulated because of some need that the false teacher saw in them that wasn't being met. And really, this is true in many ways, uh, that there are those of people who have a dominant personality, controlling personalities, that that are seeking to manipulate and control others for their own selfish gain, and they, they target people for one reason or another that they see that they can manipulate for themselves. And there could be all kinds of reasons for it. Again, a need that they find in someone that goes unfulfilled, that they will then turn and seek to fulfill to draw that person's trust to themselves. Or or if there's some some weakness in the sense of uh, an insecurity in that person that they can thrive on and, and, and build on. Or again, as we see in this passage, the immaturity of these women that were there in Ephesus these women who were burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Whatever it might be, such wicked people target them, and it is a very evil thing. These people who would do such things are dangerous. And they're all the more dangerous when they are teachers within the church. Again, the immaturity in these women in Ephesus made them a target for the false teachers. And their immaturity is seen in what Paul says here, that one, they were burdened with sin. Uh, The Greek word actually gives the idea of, of sin being piled on top of them, that they were buried under the weight of this sin. And so they, they were buried under that weight of guilt and shame because of their many sins. And there were also led astray by various passions. Uh, Their evil desires and and temptations they they followed and were enslaved to. It's also clear, as we'll see in verse 7, that these women were not very well versed in God's word. 
So these wolves in sheep's clothing, these charlatans, sneak in and take advantage of little, of weak, of immature women. They take advantage of their weaknesses. They take advantage of their guilt and their, their enslavement to their passions and desires. So these women are captured. And the word translated here as captured, it's, it's actually a military term. That these false teachers take captive these women uh, like a prisoner of war. And they, they do this by offering something that sounds good. They seek to, at least seemingly, meet a need for these women. But they do not offer them the truth. They do not offer them what these women really need. And as we look at their situation, we look at who these women are, in their immaturity, in their sin, and and enslavement to their desires, it's clear what they really need. The only thing that can address their issues is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they were in need of. They were in need of the glorious truth of who Jesus is, of the infinite God-man who took our guilt on himself, taking our guilt away from us and on himself to settle it in his flesh on the cross that he paid for the forgiveness of his people, that that guilt should no longer weigh on us because Christ took it on himself and paid it in full. The gospel points us to what Jesus Christ has done. The gospel points us to the finished work of Christ. And those who trust this gospel, who believe on Jesus Christ alone to be saved, are those who are set free from the burden of guilt from their sins being piled up on them. They are those who are set free from enslavement to their desires. They are free in Christ. They see the great love which God has loved them in the gospel. They see the greatness of our glorious God in the gospel because his character is on display in the gospel. The gospel shows us that he is a holy God of justice, righteousness, and wrath. And in the gospel, with those characteristics in tandem with his love, mercy, and grace. We see that. So in the gospel, we see who this God truly is. And because Christ has died for us, in our place, all who believe on him are set free in Christ. Free to live for this great and glorious God. Free to see him for who he is, our Lord and mighty King. See, free to see that he is worthy of our lives lived for him. Him to whom our lives belong. So those who believe repent. They, they turn from their sin. We are free from the enslavement of sin. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And so in this, the gospel demands repentance of those who are saved by it. The gospel deals with our enslavement to our desires. The gospel deals with our guilty conscience. And the gospel presses us on to live in response to who this God is. That we are looking to what he has done and accomplished through Jesus Christ. And so as we live, we we no longer live being who we used to be. But instead, we live being transformed by the word of God and the gospel truths. 
So these women needed the gospel. But the gospel was not what they were getting because the gospel is not what false teachers proclaim. Now, what do we see here? Targeting these women, leading them astray, uh, these women come under the instruction of the false teacher so that, as we see in verse 7, they're always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. There's information they're taking in. They're hearing things. They're learning in some sense, but they're learning from false teachers. And so what they are learning cannot bring them to a knowledge of the truth. And you know, what was a danger there in the first century church is still a danger for us today. That there can be those who come in among us, who pass themselves off as one of us, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And they come in, though, with selfish intentions, with sinful desires. And they look to who they can manipulate and who they can gain the trust of uh, so that they can grow in influence among the people. And they may start slow and, and just throw a little teaching here and there, but as they gain more influence, they seed sows of false doctrine that are destructive. That was the danger there in the first century church, and it is certainly a danger today. But I would argue we, we continue to grow with the danger as we have things like the internet. And we're able to get books very quickly uh, from all over the place of all many different authors that would give us a lot of information, a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of books we can read and a gluttony of sermons on the internet that can fill our heads with so much, but all of it must be tested against the scriptures. And though this is true in general, with a plethora of false teachers that are out there, influencing so much of modern Christianity, this is certainly no less true when it comes to women's ministries. And I specifically mention women's ministries, one, because there are so many of them that are a danger, and two, because in our text, it's specifically women that we are seeing that are being led astray. Many women's ministries creep into homes targeting weaknesses and vulnerabilities that are common to many women. Again, the women in our text here this morning, uh, they clearly lack discernment to be able to tell the false from the truth. And many women's ministries today thrive on such lack of discernment. Addressing emotional issues, felt needs, and the lack of self-worth that so many feel. And we live in a world that, that makes us ripe for such manipulation. We live in a world that gives us so many messages that are contrary to the truth of God's word. And especially when it comes to women, about who they are to be and what makes them valuable and worthy. And what they need to do to compete and, and make something of themselves. Uh, just for example... We see the message the world gives to those women who, who are committed to being at home and caring for their homes and raising their children. The world tells them that that devalues them. Because the world tears down the high calling of God. And we live in a world that, as Isaiah says, calls what is good evil 
and what is evil good. And as these messages in the world are soaked in, uh, women struggle with feeling self-worth. Uh, women struggle with an identity of themselves. And so they, they want to seek an identity outside the home. And these women ministries come in and hook into those things. And they direct them to find their identity in things that are Christian-esque. Sounds like something that would be in Christ. But after an examination, it is clear that those things are not scripturally sound. And that's just an example of the tactics that some unbiblical women's ministries have. Many sprinkle in some Bible, but that's just to cover up their emotional Winnie the Pooh message. I say Winnie the Pooh because their message is nothing more than stuff and fluff. You know, the stuff when Winnie the Pooh pops a seam and what comes pouring out, it's just stuff and fluff. There's no substance to it. There's, there's nothing to sustain them. And you see this rampant in books geared towards women, books like Girl, Wash Your Face, Jesus Calling, or One Thousand Gifts. And you see this in teachers like Priscilla Schreier, Beth Moore, Lisa Kirsters, Sheila Walsh, and Ann Voskamp, and so many that could take the rest of our time here just naming them. So women, and all of us, Look into whatever teacher before you begin to read and listen and drink in what they're serving. Be in the word yourself. Grow in your discernment. Be careful as things are, are shared on social media, uh, the black hole that social media is. There are things that are either just little sound clips or, or quotes that are with pretty nice background that gets shared and there are things that may sound good, uh, things that may have an emotional tug. You know, when you read it and you're just like, hmm. And so that feel good whatever diverts our thinking to realize, no, I need to go test this against the scriptures. Or, you know, too, I remember uh, one guy asking a, a seminary uh, president uh, about modern worship music and asking, you know, is this, is this song, is this a good song? And the president's response was, there's not enough to this to be good or bad, right or wrong. And that's so much of what we see on social media. There, there's just, there's no substance. You even think if you really put your mind to it, you're like, what does that even mean? Again, it's just stuff and fluff. There's nothing really to it. We need to come and measure everything against the scriptures. And be careful not to go down the click trails that, that, are, that many of us are so prone to when it comes to social media, where someone I like may share something. And then I go and see, okay, who, who's the one who originally posted them? And then I see all the things that they've shared and, and who posted those things. And, and we go and we're reading all this stuff till we find ourselves knee deep in, in, in just emotional, uh, I'm good enough and, and I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I can be the best version of myself. And it's all just nonsense. And husbands, 
Husbands need to shepherd their homes. Husbands, we need to protect our homes from false teachers. We have to know what may be infiltrating. And so we ourselves, as husbands, need to be growing in the Word of God. Growing in our faith and in our discernment. To lead our families in the Word. Growing our families in their faith and discernment. Now, I think the, the recent comments by Summer Yeager, uh, Summer Yeager, who is the daughter of James White, uh, I think her, her recent comments were, were right on when she said this, Husbands really need to care who their wives listen to. Every time I see a homeschool group or co-op fall, it turns out that women have been drinking from a fire hose of social media drivel that typically includes New Age garbage, and the husbands have zero clue what is going on. One of the protections women need is to be steered sharply away from this drama, which obviously starts with fathers giving their daughters solid ground to stand on and continues with husbands that care about who their wives desire to be influenced by. Brothers, we will be held accountable to how we lead and protect our homes, of how we keep our families in God's word. It is in God's word that these weaknesses that false teachers would look to take advantage of, it's in God's word these weaknesses are addressed. These feelings of, of lack of self-worth or identity or temptations of the flesh are not resolved by self-help in-depth looks into oneself or word-faith ideas that, can, that you can just speak away your troubles that you can speak with authority, just have enough faith, because you're, and again, this is directed towards women, you're a daughter of the king. You're a princess. So speak like one. That's a common message. It's juvenile. Instead of these things that paint pictures of who you can be and build up some superficial identity for yourself, Instead, look to who God is. Look to Christ and his glory. Begin to put his word into practice in your life. Believe what the word says. And know that all of God's promises are enough and that they are secure in the sacrifice of Christ, the sacrifice of the infinite person for you who believe. That you have been chosen by God to be brought back to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, to be free to live, not for you, but for the honor and glory of him who died for you and rose again. Grow in God's word, not in the dribble that passes as Christian books and women's ministries and men's ministries. Men are susceptible, too, to these false teachers and their manipulation. Be discerning when it comes to such ministries where you might learn a lot, but you are never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. All the shallow, emotional, self-help, self-centered teaching of so much that passes as Christian is a teaching void of the gospel and in opposition to the truth. 
the wolves that snuck into the Ephesian church that Paul was addressing, they oppose the truth. And so do all false teachers. In their opposition to the truth, Paul compared those false teachers in that day to Janus and Jambres there in verse 8. The false teachers that oppose the truth, Paul says, they oppose it just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. I say, well, who's Janus and Jambres? Let me go look through Exodus or Numbers. or Where, where can I find these names? Well, you're not going to find those names there. Uh, these names come from other Jewish writings. But they refer to the magicians in Pharaoh's court that mimicked some of the miracles that God did through Moses in Exodus chapter 7. And so Paul was saying that in the same manner that these two sorcerers went against Moses with their counterfeit miracles, so too these false teachers go against the truth with their counterfeit gospels. These men, whom Paul says here, are corrupt in mind. They're depraved, morally bankrupt. Now, the word corrupt here is a Greek word that is in the perfect passive participle. It is a perfect passive participle. And so that demonstrates the, uh, the settled state that these men were in. We see here, too, that these false teachers are disqualified regarding the faith. The word for disqualified here is a word that was used of testing metals to see if they were pure or not. And if they showed themselves after testing to be impure, they were thrown out. They couldn't be used. They were discarded. They were disqualified. Or two, uh, this was used of, of testing coins to see if they were counterfeit. We see these teachers, they claim to be part of the body of Christ. They tried to pass themselves off as being in the church, disciples of Jesus. But they were false teachers. In the end, they would show themselves to be counterfeit. They were false converts. But even though they were trying to gain influence, targeting immature women, as they were passing themselves off as genuine, as they passed themselves off as teachers in Christ's church, Paul says there in verse 9 that they weren't going to get very far. Paul makes it clear to Timothy that their influence would not continue to spread, which I have no doubt that had to be a relief to Timothy. <laughs> the advance and in influence that these false teachers seemed to gain would come to an end because the truth of who they were would come to light. Their folly would be plain to all. Just like in the case of the Egyptian sorcerers, who were only able to fabricate some of the miracles Moses performed. But there were things that they could not pretend to mimic. And so the fact that they were fake was made known, became very clear. And so too, the folly of these false teachers would be evident it would be made clear, made plain to all. And so Timothy should not be discouraged. He shouldn't lose hope due to the apparent influence that these false teachers have gained. Timothy should remain faithful and proceed as Paul has instructed him and know that their influence will not keep spreading. 
Even as the last days will have difficult times and things continue to get worse. As Timothy remained faithful, God would reveal the truth of the false teachers there in Ephesus. At the same time, Timothy had to be aware of the danger and therefore not let it go unchecked. As we saw last week, Paul commanded Timothy to avoid such people, and we discussed the idea of church discipline that was behind that. Again, everything we see here about their danger, the the manipulation of the immature that they lead astray, the fact that they led people after themselves, not giving them what they really need, which was the true gospel, but were a danger to them. They are dangerous. Those who seek to have an influence and yet oppose the truth are dangerous and they must be dealt with. All the characteristics that we went over last week, all of that flowed, as we said, from the love of self. And so does everything we read here this morning. Someone who would target people to deceive and control, to get them to follow them for their own self-centered intentions making it all about themselves because they are lovers of self. That it's what they can gain in some way. Very often it's, it's because of greed. We saw in 1 Timothy that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The Apostle Peter, talking about false teachers in 2 Peter 3, verse 2, or verse, chapter 2, verse 3, said that in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Uh, Whatever it is that these false teachers are after, they're after what is for themselves. It's selfish. It's dishonest gain. And so they are a danger. They're not looking out for the best interests of others. And I think this should highlight for us again the reason that church discipline is so important. We've discussed the reasons for following through with church discipline, and, and very often in that we, we talk about blatant sins in the sense of sins that are a blatant violation of the Ten Commandments, of, of God's moral law. But blatant sin is also blatant false teaching. It's, it's holding to and following and spreading heretical and dangerous doctrine. And when one will not repent of such a thing, they must be separated from. Uh, They must be avoided. For both their sake, uh, that they would see the necessity for them to repent, but also, too, for the sake of the church. And this passage makes it clear the danger that such ones are, that false teachings are, to the church. How dangerous those are that try to gain an influence in the church. We can't just stand by and allow it. And especially the elders of the church. Elders will be held accountable to how they shepherd and protect the church from false teachers and false teaching. And you know, what we're reading about with these false teachers creeping their way into homes, again, that was what was happening in the Ephesian church. The very same church that just before the Apostle Paul was arrested warned that such false teachers would creep into the church. 
He told them this would happen. We read about this in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30. There Paul said, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And then commenting on this passage in his book on Acts 20, Alexander Strzok says this, History amply demonstrates that the truth of Paul's message cannot be overly stated or repeated too often. The appalling, centuries-long failure to stop false teachers from invading churches can be traced directly back to ignorance of or disobedience to Paul's prophetic warnings to the Ephesian elders. Paul's message is crystal clear and a matter of life and death to all local churches. And he's right. He's exactly right. And so we must be aware of the danger of false teachers and false teaching. And we must all, therefore, do our part to make sure that false teachers and teaching do not infiltrate, do not gain an influence in the church or in our homes. Let us all be diligent students of God's word as we depend on him in prayer, that we would all serve the Lord faithfully that we would be the church and a church made up of families and households that stand on pure doctrine, stand on the truth of God's word as we live and seek to please him in everything that we say and do. That we are God's household, God's church. And the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. And so let us faithfully hold to, faithfully declare, and hold up the truth to each other and to the world around us. Let us remain faithful and aware of the dangers of false teachers in teaching. And so therefore, let us defend the faith once for all handed down to the saints, standing firm on the truth of God's word as the people of God's word. That's what we must be. We must be all that God has called us to in his word. Defending the faith and standing against false teaching. The hope that each of us have is in the truth of Jesus Christ. The hope that we are to offer to the world in our proclamation is the truth of Jesus Christ. How could we settle for anything less? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visitnvbc.com.